Welcome to Twisted. This week we're on to part two of the Wineville Chicken Coop murders. Sorry for any delay on getting this out. You know we're new at this, so we'll try to get better timing and make the whole thing better as we go. My name's Nathan. I'm Marshall. And I'm Sydney. Welcome to part two of the Gordon Stort Northcott case. Uh, today we're going to be diving into the trials and killings that took place during 1926 to 1928. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you're going to want to be caught up on what we're going to be discussing this episode, so make sure you go back and listen before starting this episode. There will be a fair amount of recap just because of the trials. A lot of it is them getting the story straight from Sanford and Stuart or Gordon Clark, but probably go back and listen to it for a better understanding. Definitely, yeah. We'll highlight some parts of some of the previous episode, but you'll miss some of those good juicy details if you don't go back to listen to episode one so go ahead and do that or don't and just continue here i don't care yeah that works too so this all started to unfold after two years of sanford living at the farm with gordon now sanford is gordon northcott's nephew who had previously lived in canada and moved to wineville to help gordon with his ranch unbeknownst to his parents what was actually going on at the ranch now the time that he lived with gordon he would for Sanford to write letters back home, telling them how much he enjoyed living there and how great it was. But after his family started to receive letters, they started to realize that it didn't quite sound like he normally would, and there was a lot of bad spelling mistakes. This was something that his sister Jessie had actually realized, that it just didn't normally sound like him. And their whole thing with it wasn't necessarily that they thought he was in trouble or, you know, apprentice to a man raping and killing small boys. More so, they were concerned that he wasn't getting a proper education. Love how that's what sticks out to them. It was like, huh, he's stupid. Well, and they also haven't heard from Sanford in like two years since he left with Gordon. No, he'd been writing them letters. Oh, he has? Yes, with... Well, actually, like, as far as, like, the letters were fine, but no one had actually seen him nearly throughout the whole time he was at the ranch with Gordon. Well, yeah, it's because they had no idea where it was. He told them it was somewhere in Vancouver. So you think that would just be sketchy as fuck. Yeah, but as we discussed last time, no one liked Sanford. Sanford had no friends. They didn't care. Poor kid. I relate. No, you don't. You have me friends. Too. They just moved to Washington, <laughs> so you're stuck with us two. <sighs> Yay, me. Yeah, too bad, so sad. All right. Because of the suspicions that she had, she actually decided to travel out herself to visit Sanford. In a way, she also kind of wanted to travel and visit herself. She started to get jealous ever since he had left because she actually wanted to travel. So ever since Sanford had left to go with Gordon to America, she had actually been gradually saving money, so that way she'd be able to go. Well, I'm sorry that Sanford had the better, well, not the better, but like his uncle kidnapped him. Well, I'm sure it had something to do with being like, oh, he'll be able to do some heavy lifting for me. Not so much the girl, so I'm sure there was some favoritism there. Doubt it, but okay. Well, no, there was definitely favoritism. He wanted Sanford so that he could play with his butthole. He didn't want a girl. Yeah, he had a certain taste, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, we can't recap the first the first episode. He loved l little boys. Yeah, love who you love only goes so far. I mean, people say age is just a limit. Sydney, no. Age is just a number, <laughs> and prison is just a large building. You guys need to go to prison. Yeah, and you still need therapy. That is true. Now, we all we all need therapy. Honestly, though, that's why we have this podcast, so we can just release our craziness out into the world in audio format. Speak for yourselves. I have Jim. I talk to him most nights. 
and he is excellent at helping me through what might be considered by some to be some very disturbing issues. I don't even want to know who Jim is. Uh, Jim's my friend. He's a friend. He's a friend who happens to be a therapist. Oh, and that sounds fake. Like I'm trying to hide that in therapy or something. But no, he's really just my friend that happens to be a therapist. We all need a Jim in our lives. It's true. He's a good guy. She left early July of 1928, traveling to Vancouver by train and then by boat to California, and had arrived July 26. She arrived but actually wasn't greeted by anyone, despite sending a telegram in advance to let Gordon know she was coming. I believe she arrived in Los Angeles. She ended up having to wait at a hotel to be picked up by Sanford and Gordon, and... When they had gone to pick her up, Gordon was just, like, disgusted with her, saying how she was, like, of the lower class and just really wasn't worth his time when really he was just upset that she was going to ruin his plans for what he was doing at the ranch. I mean, these two hated each other when they were kids, and Jesse did try to kill Gordon when they were younger, so, I mean... I mean, did she try to kill him, or was it just a prank? You don't hit someone with an iron bar and then be like, oh, that's a prank. Just a well, prank, bro. that's bruh. just all that was lying around. Because I'm pretty sure, like, my sister hit me with a broomstick, cracked my brother oh, over the head with a toy phone. Yeah, but those things aren't going to kill you. The, the broomstick might have. You don't know. No. Yeah, with enough force. Oh, it did a fair it, amount It's of justified that he hates her, but she also hates him, so. She should have came prepared with her broomstick. Yeah, but this has more to do with the fact that she's about to stop um, what we'll call Gordon's vacation, or Gordon's big adventure. That fits, because, you know, Pee Wee was just about the same. All right, now, they ended up driving back to the ranch together, and she could just immediately tell that Sanford had been overworked by how, like, tattered his clothes were when she arrived. When she tried to confront him about it and ask him how he was doing, he would just brush her off, saying that he was attending school, everything was fine, and she started to kind of figure out that he just wasn't acting the way he should be. So that following Saturday night, the week that, it was within, like, the first week that she had been there, she knew that they couldn't say anything openly while Gordon was around. So while they were sleeping, she actually creeped into the same bed as him, woke him up, and that's when Sanford started to feel more open about all the terrible things that started happening to him and the abuse and the fact of not being able to go to school. Sanford asked Jesse if she had heard anything about a boy that went missing in the paper by the name of Walter Collins. Now, because she lived in Canada, she actually hadn't heard of what had happened, but it kind of... The whole thing started to give her an idea of what was actually going on, and it really started to kind of grow that concern for them on how badly they both just needed to get out of there. So there's like this other weird little bit of this where uh, Gordon and Jesse are for some reason like either sharing a bed or just like in the same room and like sleeping in the same room. And Gordon just kind of nonchalantly starts talking about how he wants to have sex with uh, the mechanic in town's little boy. Uh, the last name was Black. I don't remember what their first name was, but he just very nonchalantly talks about how he's tried to seduce him a couple times. And it's really weird. Isn't that just lovely? Wait, so Jesse knew of Walter being missing, and then she was just like, let me ask Sanford and see what he knows. Was that it? Well, I think so. She didn't know about uh, Walter Collins because of where she lived at the time. 
but I mean, just from how, you know, Gordon is, I'm sure he was just an odd nut when she first got there. I'm sure it didn't take long to figure out. Well, no, so she was talking to Sanford, and after he told her all the stuff that Gordon was doing, he looked at her and he's like, hey, did you hear about the missing boy, Walter Collins? And she didn't know, because she's not from the States. So it was uh, Sanford that brought that up, not her. Okay. During the time Jesse stayed at the ranch, she had witnessed Gordon actually hit Sanford across the arm with a wrench and had noticed other signs of abuse and tried to pretend not to notice because of her fear of Gordon. Weirdly enough, Gordon would actually take her around the countryside, like take her on little road trips during the time that she stayed with them. Knowing what she knew, she tried everything to convince Sanford to go with her to leave, but because he was so terrified of Gordon that he would just refuse from doing so, at least for the first couple of days that she had actually stayed there with them. Jesse did make him promise that after she left that he would try to catch a bus and leave after a week of being there since she had stayed. She was so concerned for both his and her safety. Um, and it got to a point where she said, like, enough is enough. It's time for us to go, time for me to leave. And she decided that she was going to go stay with her grandparents, uh, the ones who live in Los Angeles, uh, Louise and George Northcott. And when Gordon actually confronted her about this, she responded by saying, like, oh, I thought it would be nice if I just stayed for my grandparents for a while because... She was trying to avoid suspicions from him because she'd witnessed all this crazy crap that he had done around the ranch. Uh, Gordon and Sanford went with Jesse on the drive to their grandparents to George and uh, Louise's home on August 2nd. While staying at their home, Jesse had planned an escape for Sanford to run while staying at their house. She described it as her grandma being in the front room and... Um, the grandparent, so George actually wasn't home at the time, or he just wasn't in the house, but as soon as Jesse saw that Gordon went into the bathroom, both her and Sanford were in the kitchen, and she nudged for him to run out the back door so that way he can get away, and only two minutes went by before Gordon realized that he was gone, and obviously pissed off, uh, she went and hid in the bathroom, and when she walked out, she just pretended like she didn't know where he went, um, but actually gave him a note to a friend who lived close in the area for him to run off to to get away from the, the family. Yeah, so when this all happened, he was not just like a little bit pissed, and it wasn't just at Jesse. He actually walked outside and grabbed a gun and came back in and was threatening to kill uh, both George and Louise if they didn't tell him where Sanford went, and then wow. threatened Jesse with it too and said he would... Uh, he said he was going to bash George's skull in and then shoot the other two and go find him himself. Yeah, someone doesn't have rage issues at all. Nope. Healthy. Well, he also, like, punched her in the face one time, too. Just out of nowhere. Like, they were, I mean, they were arguing about something and then all of a sudden he just decks her in the face. Just gotta let out that frustration, apparently. Nothing I mean, that... It might feel nice sometimes. Nothing that therapy can fix. I mean, we could say his therapy... We could say his therapy was killing boys, like little boys. That's probably not good therapy. That is, the, yeah, that is the wrong kind of therapy. We're not <laughs> advocating killing small children as therapy. No, I'm, I'm just theorizing, like, how he got his anger out. Um, I'm gonna say he got a lot of anger out on those kids. What I'm trying to say. All right, after a few days, Gordon was able to find Sanford and threaten him to come back with him. 
telling him that he had hid the bodies and he wouldn't have any proof that he wasn't involved in to stay quiet. And of course, Gordon would obviously try to kill him or threaten him in any kind of way if he didn't comply with what he told him to do. Now, even after this, Jesse still made attempts to try and help Sanford from going back to the ranch. Uh, Gordon had told her that um, he wouldn't be there and that he would be away on a scouting trip and wouldn't be home, so she shouldn't even bother trying to come back to the ranch. And of course, Jesse, having the intelligence that everyone else in this family seems to lack, decided obviously that wasn't true and screw it, I'm going anyway, and still went to the ranch to try and get him. Now, when she actually got there, um, the first person she saw was actually George, who was the grandparent, um, and she was confused by this, so both of them ended up going inside and met with Gordon, who apparently was in the kitchen at the time, and they had gotten into a fight with her saying how she would be taking him away from his life and how great everything was for him here and how he'd be missing out on everything. When And, um, and in that fit of rage, Gordon actually punched Jesse in the face because of this fight. And that's where that previous statement <laughs> came from. What a dick. Yeah, what an ass. What an asshat. So Gordon's whole defense for Sanford to stay was that Gordon had actually gotten into an argument with a man at a mine who apparently they had gotten into a fight over some interests that they had. So naturally, he said to protect himself, he had to shoot the miner due to fear of what he might do to him, either by injuring him or trying to kill Gordon. Uh, and if Sanford were to go back, he would expose what actually happened and tell everyone his secret that he had to murder this miner and expose that to everyone. Do we know anything more about this miner? Honestly, I really think that this whole thing here is really just a farce that Gordon had come up with. It Honestly, I even doubt that this was an actual thing that had happened. It's just something he lied about on the top of his head to throw Jesse off of his trail. Well, I mean, it's possible that he did it because he did already kill one adult. He's just that asshole. While we're not totally certain why he killed the Mexican, uh, there's the whole he knew too much or saw Gordon doing something he shouldn't have been. Gordon was obviously prone to fits of rage, so it's just as likely that he did kill a minor over a dispute. Right. Something I find kind of interesting, and this is just due to like other murder cases and facts that I found out, is usually when people like Gordon are brought into court or into questioning about things they're being prosecuted for, sometimes they'll put like little half-truths in their stories. Like they'll say like, oh, I went and I did this. When in actuality, like 80% of it is probably a lie. When 20% of it actually is probably something that did happen. So I bet some of the stuff that he has been talking about Part of them might actually be true. Well, that's the whole po- pathological liar um, attitude comes in because he, like, on trial, he lied 90% of the time. Oh, God. He lied so much. Just, ugh. When we get into that, just, hmm. <laughs> that's going to be a treat. Uh, Jesse had tried to make attempts for Sanford to stay at an old vendor so that way he can hide and travel by bus. So that way she would actually be able to meet with him in San Francisco to get away from Gordon. Uh, in the end, he wasn't able to show up, but it was later found out that Sanford tried to tried to meet her, but Gordon had found him and brought him back to the ranch. Uh, Gordon had threatened that he was going to kill him for running away and trying to expose his secrets, 
So Jessie eventually made it to Vancouver. And even though she came back alone, uh, her actions, like her just being there, started a whole domino effect uh, to what the downfall of the Northcott family will face. So she ultimately just rolls this whole situation downhill for them. Yeah, we did say last episode that one way or another, Jesse was the most important person in the lives of the Northcott clan. This is this is when he starts to become like super, super paranoid. Like he's super con- aggro. Yeah, he's like constantly looking over his shoulder. Right. Honestly, I can't even imagine how things would have panned out if Jesse hadn't have shown up. Like, could you even? No one would have known. Everyone would have just turned their heads and just wouldn't have paid attention. I can't even imagine how much longer. This sounds like a lot. It really only took course over, it only took place over the course of two years. And I'm sure it would have lasted so much longer if she wouldn't have decided to just go and actually investigate and found out what had actually, what's actually been going on. Um, I'm not so sure about that. I think it, because this was a fairly short period. I think this was going to start heading the direction of uh, Dean Coral with uh, his two little helpers. I think it was only a matter of time before Sanford lost it and either reported everything that had happened or killed Gordon himself. I was going to say, or Sanford like committed suicide because he would eventually just kind of like the guilt. Uh, I don't see that happening. Still, like living a life like that, though. I mean, who honestly could know how someone would react in that situation? I mean, he did live the rest of his life quite fully and did not show a whole lot of remorse for what had happened, so much as pinning the blame on Gordon. To me, he seems less like someone that's going to kill themselves out of guilt and more like someone who will do anything to free himself from the situation he's in. Right. Now, uh, Gordon knew he was in deep when Jesse left. As soon as he left, he tried to sell everything he could on the ranch. Uh, A man by the name of Howell was actually one of the primary buyers. Uh, Him and his family, they would actually go and travel to the ranch and really bought most of the things that he was trying to get rid of. Uh, Howell said that everything seemed normal at at most, but while some of the things weren't for sale, he could tell that Gordon was anxious and kept trying to move things along when selling some of the things on his property. Now, both him and his mother, Louise, were nervous trying to get everything gone. It took a course of nearly 10 days to get most of their things sold and gone. And during that time, Jesse had actually sent a telegram to Los Angeles Police Department from Canada, so that way they can investigate the ranch. And she'd actually reported that Stuart Northcott had kidnapped Sanford uh, over the Canadian border, which led to a report to the immigration authorities. Which is what tumbled everything down. She tried to say, uh, she also spoke to the Canadian, I think she actually spoke to the Mounties, about what she had heard, and they said, not our jurisdiction, not our problem. But then she said, oh, and he kidnapped my brother or cousin and took him over the border, and they were like, oh, illegal immigration, eh? Can't have that. Maybe, maybe he should have not kidnapped Stanford. He didn't really kidnap him. Well, he should have, yeah. they should have done, like, the whole legal process, and this way they wouldn't have gotten caught. He couldn't oh, have, no. though. That would have gone so much slower. He, he lied about where he was taking Sanford in the first place. If he attempted to get citizenship for him, which takes, like, I don't know how long it would have taken back then, but now it can take up to, like, ten years. But they would have needed, like, authorization from his parents, and as they didn't think he was leaving the country, I don't think they would have given it. He could have lied and said he's going to go to school in, like, Los Angeles, like a prestigious school. Well, I'm sure if Jesse didn't make it sound so dire by saying, like, 
oh, he was illegally taken over the border, they might not have jumped into action as fast as they would have if it would have been for anything else. Just the word kidnap, just, they were like, oh, oh, this could be bad, so let's investigate it. Now, the police did arrive at the ranch around 11 in the morning, and when the police took Sanford aside, it was a while before he actually felt comfortable to actually tell them any information. Once he was finally comfortable talking with them, he had actually admitted that um, Gordon had run off of the ranch about two and a half hours from the time that he had confessed. So by the time the police got there, um, he was so shooken up that he really didn't want to say or disclose anything. And then two and a half hours later, he was like, you know, actually, he he ran off that way. And even though they tried to do a search... They tried to look within like a mile radius to try and find him. But of course, over two and a half hour time frame with only like a mile distance, he's long gone. They were not able to find them, despite them trying to do the extensive search around the area. And this actually happened uh, not at the ranch. Uh, The family that I mentioned earlier, their last name was Black. They had a mechanic shop. They were actually there when this occurred, and the Blacks didn't know anything about what was going on. They just kind of ignored it and watched Gordon run off across a field and then watched a cop show up and talk to Sanford. And they were just like, hmm, not our problem. We're just going to stay out of this. Yeah, everything seems fine. Like, he's running in that direction. Cops are here. There's no issue. Yeah, totally fine. All right. Now, shortly after this, uh, the officers actually did take Sanford back with them to Los Angeles and placed him in a juvenile hall. Now, after this, well, it didn't take long for authorities to find Gordon. Himself, his mom, and sister went from Vancouver to Saskatchewan, admitting to stopping what? They went to Saskatoon. Oh, Saskatoon? Oh, okay. Thank you for catching that. It's after us talking about Saskatchewan from last episode. My brain just auto-filtered to Saskatchewan. Saskatoon. Okay. It didn't take long for authorities to find Gordon himself. His mom and sister went from Vancouver to Saskatoon, admitting to stopping at different people's houses while on the run, saying that they were being falsely accused from what they were being chased for. They even would steal blankets and things from people's houses when they tried to dash from place to place. Which hilariously is what got them caught. Uh, They stole two or three blankets from a woman and said that they left money on the table. And she called the police and said they stole blankets from them. Which really funny when they were caught, they maintained that they put money on the table for those blankets. She had a very deep attachment to those blankets, okay? Well, out of all the things they stole, they chose blankets. I mean, I can kind of see it. But then again, isn't California, Los Angeles area where they're at now? Like, it's not like it gets that cold, right? But They're up in Saskatoon right now. Hmm. Okay. Then yeah, yeah, that I all happened up it. in Canada. It was in Canada that they stole the blanket. Yeah, gotta hoard those blankets then. Smart decision out of all the shit they've done so far. Except, you know, leaving money on the table. Leaving a trail. Supposedly. Yeah, so that's what got Gordon caught. And then uh, his mother, Louise was actually caught for something just as stupid. She was attempting to board a train and only had American mills, and they wouldn't take the money. And she raised a huge Karen fit about it, and just was screaming at them, and they were like, well, you could just go exchange the money over there and come back. And the worker who had eventually called the police and said she 
might have the fugitive they had described on the radio earlier said, She would never have remembered the conversation, nothing stuck out about the lady, except that she was a huge bitch, and that's the reason that she remembered the radio broadcast and routed her out. Something that's great, wasn't the person on the train, wasn't their last name Watson? Uh, I think it was... I think the ticket lady's name was Watson, yeah. Because, like, isn't that the most best Sherlock and Hol- Sherlock and Watson moment of them just being like, this is suspicious, and boom, got him. Yeah, the, yeah. so that's uh, a little bit later. It's it, The whole thing was really strange. I've never actually seen a, a God, Sherlock and Watson show or TV show, movie ever. Yes, you have. Okay, the Will Ferrell one doesn't count. What about the one with Robert Down- Downey Jr.? Nope. You haven't what watched ab- that? Nope. What about you Sherlock the Monster? <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch. What about that one? I refuse to watch that one. Why? It's an excellent show. It's so you just good. hate Benedict Cumberbatch for no reason. I don't hate him. I hate the person that was obsessed with it and ruined the show for me. His don't cheekbones could cut through the universe, okay? Plus, it's a great show. You should watch it regardless. Mm, we'll see. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Anytime she says no to something, she's never even going to consider changing her mind. So just move on. That's until I strap her to like a chair or something. And I'm like, okay, we're going to watch Sherlock now. Anyway, so I thought that the whole train thing, that that was actually something that happened with Gordon. Unless it's a really similar situation, right? Yeah, so it's actually two different things. Gordon boarded a different train. Okay. And had nothing to do with Louise being ratted out by the ticket farrier at uh, whatever station she was at. Well, was the whole thing with the money, I thought that was something with Gordon. Or was that his mom? Yeah, so it was actually kind of both. Uh, The money wasn't what got him. What got him was the dude on the train who said he looked similar to a wanted man in California. And uh, there was this whole weird thing about how the dude that said he recognized him uh, only did it because he was obsessed with, like, uh, what was true crime at the time. So he was looking through, like, papers from both countries and stuff and looking at murderers and wanted people. It was... What an OG. It was truly movie-worthy. What a badass, honestly. Yeah, so as you had mentioned, similar to uh, Louise, it was actually a similar situation for Gordon, that he had also gotten onto a train, and the purser, which I guess it's a form of someone who works on the train, who works with accounting and finances, in a way, for those who board it, realized how similar he looked to a wanted man in California, and he just saw a bunch of... He just had a lot of suspicions about Gordon and probed him enough to be able to convince him to stay. And they even went through the trouble of looking through his papers and everything. And that's how they were able to uh, catch Gordon, or at least that's how they took him into custody. Yeah. So they arrested him and kind of got out of him who he was. And then they tried searching him for an ID and he's like, well, I'd be an idiot to have an ID on me. And they were like, you already told us who you are, though. Like, what's the matter? Yeah, like, ooh, like, we still know it's you. Like, I don't know how or why Naidu at this point would or wouldn't help you, but gotcha. Well, this is like also the time where you could just change your name and just put on a different hat and facial hair and you're a different, you're a new person, basically. You didn't even have to like- Should have just gone bald. Do any of that. You could have looked the exact same and claimed your name was different, but Gordon admitted to who he was and then he was like, but you can't ever prove it because I don't have an ID. Because he's dumb. You know what? With this whole hair growth thing, 
give him two weeks, he'll just blend into the jungle. It'll be fine. He'll just go find a forest somewhere. He'll be a, ses- a Sasquatch. It'll be great. Maybe he is Bigfoot. Maybe. That's... He he didn't actually die. He's now he didn't he Bigfoot. didn't actually die. He's actually Bigfoot. Case closed. We solved the mystery, folks. Uh, once on trial, he claimed that the allegations against him were melodramatic and extreme. He even said how stupid Sanford was and how extremely hard he was to handle, and that he never abused him, but he did punish him mildly from time to time. Then started bashing on Jesse, saying that. She only cared for the drama and the publicity of the situation and how they were conspiring with each other behind his back along with his father, who honestly, he didn't even really help them in any case. After some time, uh, he said that if the ranch was searched for bones, they wouldn't find anything, that the bones that they'd find were really only bones of deceased hens and that they wouldn't find any human remains at all. If someone were to try to dig around that that's all they'd really find. And during Gordon's prosecution, Sanford had been staying at the Riverside County Hospital, and he hadn't been able to sleep because of the stress and only could really manage to take short naps throughout the day. But once he'd heard that Jesse was actually coming from Canada to testify against Gordon uh, and cross the international border, he was actually ecstatic, happy. Uh, A lot of the tension was actually lifted from him because he... I'm sure just gone through like just a bad major depression after everything that he'd been through and having to be stuck in a hospital and just trying to cope with that just is awful. So on November 5th, Gordon's extraction hearing began. Once it started, there was a lot of back and forth on where he would stand trial because of the murders of Walter Lewis, Nelson, and the trial of the headless Mexican. It took over a month for them to take him across the border to stand trial in the U.S., And during the train ride, he actually confessed to the murder of the headless Mexican. One of the officers actually took it down in writing twice and had him sign a statement. They didn't reach Los Angeles till the end of the month. And during the time he was in prison on December 2nd, he had told the assistant jailer he wanted to take him where he had buried the head because it was late and 9 p.m. at the time. They agreed to it, but they would actually take him out the following day. So the next morning, three officers and Gordon got into a police car, drove to the desert, and at the time they arrived, he refused to take them, saying that he wanted to be taken to the ranch to hear his dad's and Sanford's part of the story to help prove his innocence, that he wanted to make Sanford tell the truth of what happened, and oddly enough, they agreed, which honestly blows my mind. I don't know why they'd agree to that, but okay. And the police took Gordon to the ranch where he would actually, he took some of the dirt from some of the holes or areas from around the ranch where he could examine and he smelled the dirt for some reason. I don't know why. Weird thing. But uh, he took some and said that it would help show, he would show it to Sanford and it would help to have him tell the truth of what had happened and clear everything up. Wait, so Sanford took dirt to Gordon? So Gordon would show it to Sanford. So he would take uh, the dirt or whatever to Sanford to present it to him, which is just a weird thing. I don't know how that's going to clear up. I feel like that was just his way of being like, oh, this is going to help me take him to him, take me to him now. And that was just an excuse to get him to him. So I don't know. I mean, dirt is dirt. You can't tell Do it. Do not besmirch the yeah, difference. Even so, <laughs> regardless if you smell it or not. Well, it depends on what dirt he picked up. Uh, the dirt that once contained the bodies of 
whatever boys had been on the ranch, especially covered in lye, would definitely have a different smell than real dirt. That is true. Well, I wouldn't know because I don't play in dirt, so... <laughs> okay, look, just because you don't go outside ever, dirt is fun, dirt smells good. It's okay, Sydney, I can relate. We all don't go out and play in dirt. So this part pisses me off so much. So... After they had actually gone to the ranch and collected the dirt, they allowed him to go to the hospital that Sanford was staying in and basically allowed Gordon in the same room as him to basically ask him questions and probe him into saying how like he was innocent, that there wasn't anything going on. And something that just broke my heart a little bit is when Gordon was talking with Sanford, Sanford had basically said, like, like, dad told the truth, mom told the truth, why can't you be honest? And he had said that everything else I'll take the blame for if you come clean about what happened to uh, the Mexican, like, you can blame everything on me. And that's just so, for a little kid to have to deal with that, um, just blows my mind. But of course, the police didn't believe it. They knew he was basically just trying to get him to admit to things or get him to say things that just weren't true. But yeah, the fact that that just happened is insane. On December 14th, 1928, L.A. District Attorney Fitz made it official. Gordon would be tried in Riverside, not in L.A., for the murder of the headless Mexican. Eight days later, after the completion of his trial in Riverside in which he would be tried for killing the Mexican and the Winslow brothers, Gordon would also be tried along with his mother for the killing of Walter Collins. Hickman, quote, said, I asked him at the time of how many there had been. He said there were nine altogether. I killed five of them. Sanford killed one. My dad killed one. I said that is seven. What about the other two? He said that I won't go into that. They involve someone else. Unquote. He never said anything else about it. That whole thing's a little bit weird. Yeah. Who would it involve that he doesn't want to rat out? The neighbors. The ones who supposedly moved away. <laughs> It's the neighbor with the quick lime comment. Mm-hmm. The five he admitted to were Walter Collins, the Winslow brothers, the headless Mexican, and Phil Scott. But Phil Scott wasn't, like, an actual victim of his. Phil Scott was the boy that he molested way back in the day, wasn't he? Yes. I believe so, yes. Yeah, and then, uh, he had one more kind of tacked on after all that, because... As we said in the previous episode, he's believed to have killed upwards of 20. Uh, the only ones that were ever tied to him were the Lewis boys, Walter Collins, the Mexican, and then uh, the other one was Nick Esparza. They tried to get Nicholas Esparza, uh, him charged onto Walt Gordon because they found his skeleton remains on May 28, 1927, near Kearney Mesa, about 10 miles north of San Diego. And that's six confirmed victims, but again... There was no evidence of him. Uh, it was tied to him, and he made snide comments about it. There were all kinds of things that linked him to it. Yeah, I mean, he did admit saying he could have killed at least 20 kids. Yeah, though he made a lot of false statements and letters, though, saying how, like, he'd confess to stuff and then be like, oh, never mind, like, that wasn't true. So, I mean, who's to really know, though? So, he never actually said that he killed 20 people. Uh, that statement that you read is the closest he ever came to giving a real number. The number around 20 was actually given by the police department several years later after looking at uh, missing boys in the area where they had been seen last. Some of them were because they found 
uh, body parts of them, like Nick Esparza. That's just their general estimate of how many he killed. They don't actually have any clue. He never said anything else. It's entirely possible that he only killed the seven or nine that he said. Um, this is going to be a really long quote, but it I thought it was important. So, Redwine, the prosecutor, confronted Gordon about Walter. He said, quote, You liked Walter the most because he had a cute, coarse little voice, the way he talked. He was very fond of flowers, he continued. He was sleeping on the cot the night you killed him. You took a colander and placed it upside down over his nose and face and put a cloth over it and proceeded to pour ether on the cloth, unquote. Uh, turns out Walter was actually shot after he was drugged with ether. Then Gordon's mother took the first blow with the axe. Yeah, so that's where we have kind of a diverging confession, because what he said in court, or rather what Sanford said, is the thing about him getting shot and then each of them taking a blow, but at some point Gordon actually admitted it to Redwine. So he had told the story to Redwine and told basically what had happened to one of the Lewis boys was the exact same thing, where he placed a colander over their face and tried to kill them with ether. And it just didn't work. So I imagine there's probably truth to both sides there. He probably did, again, try to kill him with ether and did not succeed. So he just got shot and then had his head bashed in. Eh, again, we'll never know because they keep flip-flopping their confessions on each other. Yeah, but usually the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yep, half-truths. Like, Louise, she lied during her whole trial. She said she was the one who killed the headless Mexican and not Gordon. Oh yeah, there was so many things on that. Like first it was said that like she did it. There was even there was even a time I think where they said like Sanford did it and then Gordon like they went back on and forth on that like two or three different times. Which I don't want people to get confused. This family was not a smart family. They weren't trying to confuse anybody by throwing blame around. They were stupid. They had no idea what to do. They were just trying to blame Sanford for things. Like, Louise was only taking the blame for a lot of this because she didn't want Gord to take the blame for it. She thought he would probably not be hung if she got at least one of the things pulled onto her rather than him. And they also tried to put all the blame onto Sanford. And Sanford was like, I didn't do anything. Well, I mean, Sanford admitted to doing quite a bit, but he did it under the duress of Gordon and the fear of what Gordon might do to him. Yeah, he just didn't voluntarily. I mean, so he says, we, that's something we'll never know at all, is whether Sanford actually did anything on his own. Because in, in cases where we have uh, usually an older man molesting young boys and killing them, and he has some kind of a helper that's younger, there's evidence that would suggest that a lot of times those helpers end up doing things all on their own and i mean either they get away with it or they don't because they have the out of saying oh i was pushed into it yeah i can see that happening uh louise did write a letter to red wine my gosh confessing to the murder of walter walter collins and she pleaded guilty she only got her jail sentence because she was a woman and hanging a woman back then would what was deemed unfair Gordon never got his trial in L.A. He only got the trial in Riverside. The L.A. trial was postponed. His trial in Riverside was on January 2nd, 1929. In a strange motion, one of the prosecutors asked to have Judge Morton excused from the case because he was abusive to the defendant. Like, he was literally just giving him harsh language. I mean, 
if you were suspected of molesting and killing many little boys, I can't imagine the judge was going to be very nice to you. Yeah, I hope not. I'd give that, I'd give anyone a piece of my mind if I was a judge. It's like, uh, no, I'm not being nice to you. Yeah, I say let him stay. I think that's the kind of judge we need in this case. Well, I hate to break it to you guys, but they had another judge come in, and his name was Judge Freeman. See, that's a whole conspiracy thing, Judge Freeman. Judge Freeman, <laughs> they wanted him to come in. Because they thought he would free Gordon. <laughs> well, I'm not going to spoil anything, so... <laughs> Get to reading but During it, his trial, Gordon's attorney, Save? S-A-V-A-Y? I think Save. Save. Yeah. Made a shocking motion that would cost him his own job. He changed the plea from not guilty to not guilty by reason of insanity. He based this on media reports and, quote, mental experts and to protect the rights and interests of his defendant. Didn't they basically say he had the chance to plead as non-guilty, but because he waited too long, he wasn't able to plead that from the date that they started the trial? That was why they, uh, that was part of the reason they denied the motion to plead non-guilty by reason of insanity, but also then Gordon just decided he didn't want that. Well, so the reason why they were going for reason of and not guilty by reason of insanity is because they were going to be like, Gordon blacked out during this whole killing thing. And he was like, no, I was completely sane. Like, I remember everything. Yeah, see, you say that like he was a smart man yeah. and wanted recognition. I imagine it went more like this. Uh, my defendant uh, was blacked out during the whole affair and he is not to blame for the actions he had. You know, I was there. Yeah, I remember doing <laughs> all of it. I tickled them. I touched them. I bashed their head in. I was there. Well, so his attorney had uh, tried to say he was suffering from a form of schizophrenia and extreme abnormal sexual activity, which, I mean, the second one is true, but the first one was not. You're not wrong about that. Yeah, that's given no, no once again, he said, oh, he's got some form of schizophrenia, and once again, Gordon being Gordon, it's like, no, I don't. <laughs> Gordon was like, it's like I'm just going to be what a truthful. smart nut. I, it wasn't a truthful thing. I think he was actually just a fucking dolt. He didn't understand what was going on, and he's like, well, that's just not true. His, his mind just has a radio he just tunes in and out of. It's like a tunnel vision for his mind. He's like, oh, I'll just tune in now, I guess. What's going on? Yeah, I did that. No, I didn't. And I'm not sure why exactly, but I imagine him with, like, a weird southern accent. Oh, yeah. I don't know why I did that. He definitely doesn't have one. <laughs> he's Canadian and lived in California, but... It seemed appropriate. Just, it did. <laughs> so anyways, his uh, not guilty by reason of insanity uh, motion was denied, obviously. Yeah, struck out. Um, Would you guys like to know a fun fact? I would love to know a fun fact. Okay. Henry Esparza, the missing brother of Nicholas Esparza, came into the courtroom with a twenty-five caliber automatic pistol, but was immediately arrested. He was like, hey, I just want to talk to, to Gordon. And they were like... Uh, yeah, no, you have a gun, you're gonna shoot him, so we're just gonna arrest you. <laughs> yeah, anyone who just walks into a courtroom just being like, I just wanna talk, I just wanna talk to him, and yeah, that's just not suspicious at all. You're like, just waving the gun around. 100%. I just wanna yeah. talk, I promise. I just wanna have a word. Uh, Stuart, also during his trial, would make up maps of where he would bury his victims and would just send the police on a wild goose chase, all because he wanted to. He thought it was funny. He thought this was like a, it, he was the cat and the police were the mouse, like the mice. So he was playing like this cat and mouse game. Yeah, there really was just like a crap ton of occasions where he'd be like, you know, today's the day I'm going to tell you where they're at. They would literally go out, go to the location. 
Also, something that happened, which I don't know what this police department was even thinking. There was a time where he was going to confess and show them where the head was buried. They went out. Of course, they didn't find it. And he was like, oh, well, you know, it's just where I'm at. Like, if we wait until morning, because it was dark at this point, he was like, I can totally remember where it is. And they parked off to the side of the road. Instead of going back to the prison, the cop basically just, they hung out at his car, took his handcuffs off to let him eat his food that, because, you know, they were waiting the night. And they even both just, like, slept in the car together. I would not trust that at all. Sleeping in the same car with a murderer? No thanks. That just seems really, really weird. Like, who does that? Who just is like, you know, this this guy has tortured and molested and raped some kids. Like, I'm totally going to trust being in the same car with him. He even admitted to dozing off a little bit. And he was like, oh, no, like, I was fine. But could you imagine? Like, who is who is that crazy? Uh, another note on Gordon's anger issues. If when he was in court and things weren't going his way, he would angrily throw law books across the room. Like, sorry that you're being found guilty. What What did you think? Uh, Stuart yeah, had- Yeah, mad sicko moment. Is, oh my gosh. He also had a big ego during this whole trial. He loved the attention that he got from the media and the spectators. Like, people would just come into the court just to watch- this life and he would flirt with the girls he would like wink at them and try to talk to them and he just loved the whole thing and when the media tried to interview him he would have like this smug demeanor and he would kind of like turn it like make it from the case to himself kind of like forget about what i did let's talk about me instead you know yeah i think didn't he make a statement too where he was like hey you know what Instead of sending me to prison, why don't you just use the money to build, like, a bridge or something? Like, <laughs> dude, maybe if you weren't so stupid and didn't do all the- everything that you were doing, we could have done that. He just wanted to be a bridge troll. Yeah. None shall pass. What is your yeah, favorite no, color? No boys allowed. Okay, really? All boys Money allowed. <laughs> Money Python. Okay. The following Monday when court continued, there was talk about how Gordon- sodomized Sanford was a lie by his attorney, but Sanford had two doctors look at him and told the court that he was sodomized. Like, the book went into full detail about this, and I don't want to go into it, so. Uh, during recess, Gordon sent Judge Freeman a letter asking if he could represent himself because he was more knowledgeable than his own defense attorney. He apparently studied law, law for three years, and no one knew about this. Yeah. He was doing it during that time that he was leading a jazz band. <laughs> yeah. He was like, I just study law as a hobby. Also, the letter he wrote, it just sounds like it's like a little kid begging for like to get something from this story. You know, it's like, oh, please let me defend myself. Like, it would just mean the most utmost respect for me. Like, the letter, the way he worded everything just sounded so weird to me. <laughs> like, he also tried to make himself more smart than he actually was. Like, he was trying to use, oh, yeah. like, use big words. Big words. <laughs> and they just weren't coming out right. It's, he just, he's not the, the smart person in the world. Not, not the brightest crayon in the box. That's what I was looking for. So what you're saying is, 
he wasn't Bundy-esque in his defense. Well, so, for the rest of the day, Gordon represented himself. He asked questions, and he answered them. He also asked his nephew and his niece questions along with his mother. So he basically pulled a Ted Bundy for the rest of the day. He pulled so yeah, many. But, like, Bundy actually did a very good job defending himself, and it was even, like, the judge felt the need to comment on how well Bundy yeah. had done. I don't think Gordon was going that direction. Yeah, the, jo- the George, wow. The judge to Ted Bundy was like, you would have been a great lawyer and I would have loved to work with you, but you chose to go a different path and I'm sad to see you go this way. Whereas Gordon was just asking his nephew, like, did I really rape you? And Sanford would be like, yeah, you did. Where were you? And then you? immediately he looked over and he's like, I would like that stricken from the record. <laughs> or he would like, add- I'm going to admit to it and then five minutes later deny everything. I would like to recuse myself as lawyer on the grounds that I have incriminated myself even further. He, he would also ask Sanford, he'd be like, okay, so what, like, what did I do in the chicken coops? And Sanford would be like, well, you obviously kept little boys there. And he's like, no, I didn't. I kept chickens there. <laughs> did I, though? Like, I like, wasn't there. Like, he was trying to intimidate Sanford, and it just wasn't going his way. Yeah, good for Sanford, though. I wonder if though. his plan there was like, uh, no, those weren't little boys, those were chickens. I was only raping chickens. They were oh, giant-ass giant chickens with clothes, and they walked no. on two feet. They were small chickens. They died. <laughs> Whatever. That's what and all today, the bones are. they are known are. as McDonald's chicken nuggets. They're fucking delicious, though, so. Yeah. Okay, so here is the <laughs> the fun part, like, I don't, I don't know how to describe this. Uh, both Gordon and his mother countlessly said Louise was not Gordon's real mother. Louise told the court slash jury that she was his grandmother and his real mother was his sister, Winifred. She Who also, we kind of didn't mention much, Winifred was on Gordon's side through all of this. Was she really? She, like, she didn't really represent him or do anything like that, but initially when they asked her questions and Sanford had made the claims, she was like, no, Gordon would never have done that. Just ignoring her child and being like, no, he didn't do it. Your kid was being raped by his uncle. How can he be on his side? Yeah, I mean, with the letters, like, okay, this kind of goes back to the letters that Sanford would write back home. The fact that Jesse was the only one to get any inclination as far as what was actually going on. And the parents were just like, huh, he seems I. And just excused everything. They're just had bad parenting all around. I mean, fortunately, there was no proof of Winifred being his real mother because both George and Winifred vehemently denied that they had sexual relations. And this was just Gordon and his mother being crazy and just lying. So, you know, she also, I believe there was also a time where she was saying that Gordon was like the son of some Englishman and that she was just taking care of him for taking care of Gordon for him. Which, come on, like, how far-fetched can you get? I still love, like, the dynamic of all of this. Sanford saying Gordon did it. Gordon saying it didn't happen. Louise is saying she did parts of it. Sanford did some of it, and Gordon's pretty much innocent. And old George is just like, I don't know what happened. I wasn't George there. George is like, this is all y'all business. This, Why does this have to do with me? I He took the stance that I probably would have taken and been like, not my horse, not my farm. But, I'm, this, I ain't a part like, of this. This is like the... Go ahead. I was going to say, don't tell me your business and I won't tell you my business. How about that? In a way, this is like the worst game of telephone ever. They're all just like, (laughs) oh, hey, you did this, right? It's like, oh, yeah, I didn't. Anyways, the whole trial was just a huge joke in the end because 
Gordon would deny everything one day and then confess everything the following day. He would lie about his childhood. He would lie about, like, having the kids. He would lie about owning the farm, but then turn around and be like, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I remember, I remember killing the Winslow brothers and doing this and that. So, like, make up your mind. It's either yes or no. He's just doing it to toy with them at this point. Honestly, though, it's just a huge game to him. Again, you're giving him far too much credit. I'm more on the side of... Oh, I'll admit to it because then I gain some notoriety. People will know me. People will love me if they hear this story. And then he was like, you know what? This probably isn't the best thing to be known for. I should probably deny all of it. Yeah. What's sad, he probably didn't even know any of the um, any of the names of any of the kids that he'd actually like attacked and raped. He's just like, oh, yeah. Oh, no, he did. Oh, well. He knew. He's just an asshole. Yeah, he uh, talked about a few of them. Uh, he... So he mentioned uh, Phil Scott a few times, even though he was just a boy that was molested before all this started. He talked about the Lewis boys, and he did talk about Walter Collins by name. The only one he didn't refer to was the Headless Mexican, because they, none of them wanted to to claim it, I guess. Which I really don't get, because there's the whole thing where he's trying to get Sanford to admit to just that, and Louise takes the blame for that. Why is he so, like, he's totally fine with the rape and murder of little boys, but the headless Mexican, that's where he draws the line? He doesn't want to be known for killing an adult? Well, I have a theory about the headless Mexican. Maybe the headless Mexican was, like, his his secret lover, and the headless Mexican was gonna be like, well, like, we should come out and, like, tell people, or, like, you know. Oh, I didn't realize this was conspiracy theory. <laughs> and Gordon was like, no. I don't mind conspiracy theories. Let me hear it. Well, and then Gordon was like, no, I can't let everyone know I'm gay, even though everyone well, knew. It, 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 he wasn't really, like, gay. He, I, I guess it's possible. Anything is possible. He seemed to more just have a proclivity for little boys. And he flirted with women constantly. So I don't know if that was like him trying to cover up that he was gay i He's guess just a bisexual psychopath i think it's most likely that he killed him because the mexicans saw him attempting to or successfully abducting a child no i want to say it's forbidden love <laughs> only you would take a story about a man keeping children in a chicken coop raping them and brutally murdering and make it a love story it, whatever where, where was i oh the the Riverside trial took 22 days. Uh, Gordon and his mother were both found guilty. Gordon was found guilty of first-degree murder for killing, kidnapping, and raping the three boys and the headless Mexican, but was suspected of many as 20. His mother was only found guilty of the murder of Walter Collins. Before Gordon was hung, hanged, he actually sent a letter to uh, Christine Collins and was like, hey, if you come meet me in my, in like, Come meet me in the jail. I, I'll confess everything about your son. So, of course, Christine came to the jail. They sat in the t the holding cell or whatever the jail room is called. And immediately as Christine walked into the room, Gordon just shut down. He was like, nope, I'm not talking. I want you out of here. I changed my mind. We're done. And, of course, Christine was like, I drove all the way over here just to talk to you and you decided to change your mind. She got really pissed off and started like confronting him about it 
you know, kind of like pushing his buttons and he didn't talk. So he just had, I guess he was like kind of guilty for a second. And then he was like, nope, just kidding. I'll take it to my grave. It's worse than that. She showed up and he's like, no, I didn't do it. And then he actually spent like the next hour or so venting to her about how it was bullshit that he was stuck in a room and oh yeah all that and actually i was wrong earlier partially about uh george so in the beginning george did say yeah i don't know anything that happened i wasn't there but about halfway through the trial george actually went to the prosecution and said i am more than willing to testify against my wife and gordon yeah he was basically <laughs> he turned on him so quick <laughs> well, well he was man. bullied for like the longest time like he even confessed he was like you know they bullied me <laughs> like my wife even when my child was old enough she encouraged him to just mentally and physically abuse me and he just wasn't having it you know what good for him well, that, yeah good for I'm him say good for him that makes things so awkward how was it making yeah, it awkward he got out of a very toxic <laughs> relationship by sending both of them to prison yeah, yeah, no, good for him no you will find out hold on uh gordon was hanged on october 2nd 1930 he was 23 years old at the time of his death. On the day of his execution, Gordon's smug demeanor qu quickly changed when he was walking towards the gallows. He became hysterical and asked for a blindfold, the only time in history of San Quentin when a prisoner walked blindfolded to the scaffold. He turned into a, into such a pussy. Sorry. Yeah, all that ego he was building up up until the last second. He was just having a mental breakdown, like, can I have a blindfold, please, so I can just shield myself from all the terrible decisions I've made? How does the blindfold help? You have now already seen where you're going. You know what's about to happen. You're going to feel the rope around your neck. How does not seeing help that? Yeah, they also, they still put a bag over their head, too, before, you know, it happens. So I feel that it's a little counterintuitive to put a blindfold on him, but that's just me. I would have asked for, like, an extra pair of pants to be put on <laughs> me because I know that they shit uncontrollably when they're hanged. So I don't know if this part's true, but in the movie, based on this case, um, when he was walking towards the scaffold, he was freaking out and he demanded people to say a prayer for him. And then as he was getting the noose hung around, like, tied around his neck, he started singing uh, Holy Night. No, that sounds like Hollywood bullshit. And yeah. you're just sitting there like, was this really true? Did, did he really sing? Are you referring to Changeling? Yeah. Like, did he really sing Holy Night? No. So for anybody that doesn't know and hasn't seen Changeling, it's specifically about Walter Collins. It's about the... Um, the uh, that sounds like some bullshit. Some Hollywood bullshit. Well, it's yeah, the there's... point of view of Christine and how she was looking for her son, mostly, so. Yeah, so it's like 90% about Walter yeah. Collins, but it is loosely based on this case. So, we don't, yeah. Uh, anyway, what happened to Louise? Louise was in San Quentin for four and a half years before being transferred to women at a women prison at Taha Chipi. What? what? <laughs> T. <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt that. Wait, where is it? I'll say it. T-E-H-A-C-H-A-P-I. Hold on. T-E-H-A what? H-A-C-H-A-P-I. <laughs> Tahachipi? 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 <laughs> 
I don't know. That just yeah. sounds like bullshit. I'm just gonna but okay. take the L on that one. No one knows how to pronounce it. Uh, she was there for seven years. Uh, George moved to Maryland in 1931. He fought to have Louise paroled. After serving eleven year eleven years, ten months, and five days, she was paroled on May May thirtieth, nineteen forty. See, that's where I said things are awkward because he testified against her. Yeah, I yeah, he testified against the both. But of then them. he's like, I, I want my wife out. out. Yeah. Well, uh, I think this is a case of old man can't get out there and date. Really needs. Uh, I'm be very blunt. He wanted to fuck. Yes. I want my caddy back. It had been a decade. He wanted his crazy ass wife back. Yeah, no thanks. I don't know that he wanted her back so much as he, was he had needs. You can get your needs somewhere else. Oh no, do not I mean, encourage this family to do that, Sydney. That is the wrong road we're going down right now. <laughs> yeah, I think you're just causing problems he now. He could have remarried to a nicer woman, less crazier. Maybe he couldn't have. We don't really know what George looked like. George and Sarah lived on the farm that George had bought in Maryland for three years before he died from heart disease on May 8th, 1944, at the age of 77. Shortly- Was he poisoned? Can you- We may never know. Can poison cause heart disease? Uh, I mean, if it's an inflammatory heart disease- If you try hard enough, I'm sure it's possible. Well, I mean, this is also the 1930s. They aren't the best doctors. So I imagine anything that was heart failure would have been attributed to heart disease. Uh, 1940s. Like it makes much of a it's difference. It's a 10-year difference. <laughs> yeah, medicine didn't go that far, really, in those he, 10 years. He, it went from you have cocaine, you can do some cocaine to cocaine is now in coke. He just really needed that amoxicillin. Look, I they did not have the joy of amoxicillin. Shortly after Louise became senile, she left all of her possessions and lands to her daughter before dying on November 21st, 1944. I'm guessing her daughter was Winifred. Yes. Kay. Yes. Yeah. It didn't really say in the book. i just assuming it's Winifred. Well, yeah, they only had one daughter, remember? They had five kids. They all died. Yeah. Then they had Seriously. Winifred. Uh, Sanford was sentenced to five years to a prestigious boys' school, but his sentence was later changed to 23 months. He was deported back to Canada, and in 1935, he got married to his wife, June McIns. Their marriage lasted 56 years. They adopted two boys, since they could not have kids of their own, and their names are Bob and Jerry. Oh, shush. No, they are not. Are they really? They are. <laughs> Wow. Lovely names. Very original back then. Also, something about them adopting kids, it really wasn't so much that they couldn't, but he actually felt that with everything that went on with his family, he felt that because everyone in his family was crazy, that it was hereditary and he just didn't want to have kids because of everything that had happened. So that's why they chose to adopt. I mean, kudos to him for not continuing the bloodline bloodline in case some kind of craziness popped out, you know? The Gordon virus. It's, yeah. I mean, you say the Gordon virus, but again, I think Sanford was likely complicit in at least some of these things. Well, we'll never know, because he's, he's dead. Uh, Sanford had nine grandkids and two great-grandkids at the time of his death. He served in World War II. He was in the Royal Canadian Artillery. He served honorably with the 21st Battery and 6th Field Regiment. Once discharged, he worked at the post office. He suffered from a heart attack but lived. He was still active and joined the Elks, Royal Canadian Legion, the Saskatoon Exhibit, and plenty of other fancy 
stuff. So it, what you're saying is he lived a very long life, had a family, served in the military. Yes. Christine refused to believe that her son was murdered. She continued to search for her son for the rest of her life. Uh, she attempted several times to collect the money she owed. She was owed by Jones. Uh, Captain J.J. Jones was pl- was placed on trial because he sent Christine Collins to the psych ward without a valid reason, and this caused him to be suspended for four months without pay. Uh, Wineville was so traumatized by the connection to Northcott that the city changed its name to Miraloma? Miraloma. 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 On November 1st, 1930, only a month after Northcott's execution. However, as recently as 2009, the house in which Gordon Stewart Northcott had lived in was there. It is now destroyed. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our part two episode of the Wineville Chicken Coop Murders. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider checking us out on our Instagram page. You can check us out at Twisted True Crime Podcast on Instagram. Please let us know what you liked about the episode, what you didn't like. We'd love to hear about your feedback. Uh, I just want to say thank you to everyone who listened to our first episode and all the support you have shown us, friends and family. We really appreciate it and we hope to continue to put out more fun, twisted episodes. Hell yeah. Yeah, not me. I don't care if anybody listens. I'm just having such a good time (laughs) with my friends. Yeah, friend experiences. Huzzah. Oh my god, could you imagine two hours of this bullshit?